Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BLEAV for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. What's up, H-Town? Welcome to the Believe in Astros podcast, your home for all things Astros, with your hosts, sports writer Jeff Balky and Astros broadcaster and former third baseman Jeff Blob. Now, here's Balky and Blubber. What is up, Astros fans? Welcome to episode 80 of the Believe in Astros podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. Take a breath. I'm Jeff Balky, alongside my partner, Jeff Blum, who's fresh off some vacation and family time, which looked lovely. Uh, Blummer, I wanted to tell you that you picked the exact right week to stay the hell away from sports because there's literally nothing, and I mean nothing, (laughs) going on this week. And that includes the All-Star festivities. It's the worst week in sports for the entire year. But it's also the beginning of the descent into the best time uh, of sports in the year coming up on October. So only about 75 days away from that. So welcome back. How was your time off? It was good. Yeah, we took the kids and we flew into Phoenix and proceeded to drive around to northern Arizona where my mom is, visit her. Nice. And uh, check in with her. And then we drove to uh, see Corey's parents, my wife's parents. And then we eventually got on the road and drove west and meeting the team here in, uh, quote unquote, Los Angeles, Anaheim, Laguna, Dana Point, whatever the hell you want to call it here in uh, for the Angels. But uh, we're here now and the kids are having a, a great start to their day. And I'm here on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, I'm just chopped hey, liver over for, here. For I the get money. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so we do have a we do have a very special guest on today's episode. Astro director of amateur scouting, Chris Gross, uh, fresh off the draft this week. I spoke to him earlier this morning. We're going to bring that up here in just a minute. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and on YouTube, and you can give us a follow on Twitter. I think, and uh, soon enough on Threads. Um, it's a weird whole situation there. Mm-hmm. Obviously on Instagram, uh, Blummer. You know, you, I, Blummer's at Blummer twenty seven. I'm at Jeff Balky. Blummer, your Insta was pretty lit. Yeah, all week, especially the the the, the uh, flight problems that Dear you had God. trying to get out of town. Everybody seems to be going through that right now. Yeah, there's one particular. Uh, airline that I can't mention for sponsorship reasons, but you can deduce who they might be. Um, and I'll probably get yelled at for, for this podcast and mentioning them, not even by name, but it's been terrible. Traveling is terrible. And for everybody, it's not just me. It's everybody out there is having a hell of a time getting to where they want to be. No, it's been really bad. I mean, I'm, I'm getting ready to get on a plane here in about two weeks uh, to fly to Salt Lake City. I'm not going to Utah. I'm going to Yellowstone, but just going through Salt Lake City. And so I'm just like, yeah. fingers crossed. I'm with you. I'll, I'll you cross know? my fingers for you, too. <laughs> yeah, just hoping that that is the, the one day that doesn't turn into hell on earth uh, when it comes to having to leave. But, <laughs> you know, these are the prices we pay. <laughs> 
for uh, for jet setting, as it were. I'm wearing my All Star hat uh, here. Um, not my seven one three day hat because listen. I love the Astros, but I'm not standing in line around the block in this heat for a hat. I'm more of an online shopping kind of guy. But mm-hmm. uh, hey, man, Astros, you got any 713 hats left over? You know where to find me. Yeah, they're pretty sweet. Um, they, those are pretty sweet. I like the Euler one, the Rocket mm. one, both pretty cool. I like them. Um, honestly, good stuff. Uh, thanks to everyone who's given us a listen. Five stars, left reviews on Apple. Love that stuff. Uh, keep sending us your comments. We love seeing all those. Today, we got a questioner. Uh, we got a questioner, a question uh, <laughs> from a listener, uh, an inquisitor. Thank you. That's that's nice. I like that. An inquisitor uh, on Twitter at here's his his handle is at twenty one twelve underscore rush y y z. Hey, so that's my kind of handle. Well done. Uh, a really interesting question though, and I'm gonna let you hit this before we uh, get into our interview with with Chris. Um, what are the characteristics of a closer and what makes Ryan Presley particularly suited for that role? I thought that was a pretty good question because we talk about closers a lot, but there isn't, I mean, the closer is a very specialized position now, mm-hmm. more so than ever in baseball. And so I think that was a good question. What, what would you say to, to our, uh, our rush buddy. Uh, that that's an excellent question, and it varies because you've got guys in the league like uh, Classe, Batista, some of these guys that are just absolute turbo flamethrowers. Yeah, a uh, hundred plus miles an hour. They've got sync, they've got cut, they've got movement, and then you've got a guy like Ryan Presley who maybe doesn't fit that prototypical want you know in your closer with that electric velocity and and wipe out stuff, but. His spin is what allows him to go out and get swing and miss. So I would classify my closer as a guy that can go get swing and miss uh, as far as stuff because Presley's still pumping 95, which is enough to be able to, as a hitter, to be able to respect and then swing off swing off of that with the power slider, the big curveball he's got. He also mixes in that changeup every once in a while, which is nice. So he's got four legitimate pitches that he can come after you with. So that's, instead of having power, he's got, He's got he's got spin and he's got quantity, so he can go out there and mess with your head a little bit. The other thing I need my closer to have is mental fortitude and a short term memory because being a closer is not the most fun position in the world because you come in high leverage, high stress, three outs, get out of the game, and if you don't get those three outs and you give up one run, you blow a save. If you give up two runs, you end up losing the game. So there's a there's high risk, high reward. And serious issues if you don't, if you're not able to do that, and they can go through slumps just like hitters and infielders and people like that. So, it's a, it's a tough position, but I think that's why Presley's so effective is because he's got the mental fortitude to be able to go after it. Uh, he's got the creativity and tenacity and the stuff. Yeah, that's that's all really good points. I think it's it's to me what you the point you first made about swinging and missing because maybe to me relievers maybe need more of that ability than any other pitcher in the lineup. The ability mm-hmm. to get out of situations uh, to not allow hit, you know, like most guys you can they can afford to allow a hit here or there. They can give up walks. You know, closers just can't. You just can't give up those kind of things. You've got to strike guys out. They've got to keep from, you know, getting guys on base. It's just such a critical part of the lineup, you know, which is crazy. I can't imagine the pressure. No, the pressure is crazy. The margin of error. And if you're very successful, obviously you're going to get paid. But at the same time, very high leverage every time you're out there. 
Man, that's good stuff, Lomar. Okay, so uh, before we get into anything else, I want to share with you an interview I did this morning with Chris Gross, Astor's Director of Amateur Scouting. Really interesting stuff. Uh, check it out here. All right, Chris, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Really appreciate you being on, especially after a very, very busy week. Uh, are, are you feeling good now that you've uh, got the draft behind you? Yes, absolutely. We're excited about the crop, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's kind of like your your big final exam. You take the test and you want to relax a little bit after, but we still got work to do to get these guys in here and, and take their physicals and hopefully get them signed up and playing here soon. So, Yeah, so the amateur draft in baseball is one of the most curious and sort of complex drafts. It's the least understood, I think, by most people compared <laughs> certainly to the NBA or NFL. So I'm just curious, how do you manage something that complicated without like 100,000 scouts at your disposal? I mean, people don't realize how many colleges there are out there in addition, never mind to high schools that you have to go look at. I mean, how do you scout both the SEC and like Bob's College and White Plains? <laughs> you know, I mean, how is that even possible? Yeah, it's a, it's a full team effort here. I mean, we have our scouts in the field um, that do a heck of a job of covering their assigned territories. Mm -hmm. And then um, we also have a team, you know, analyzing stats here in the office, trying to figure out who might be interesting, you know, certain guys that might be worth going to track down at Bob's College, like you said there. So, um, but yeah, we have, you know, 14 area scouts spread across the country that, you know, are hired to know that area specifically. And, this day and age, there's so much on the internet, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of things pop up on there. And, but a, a lot of our scouts are really good at networking and getting to know the, the college coaches in their area and, and do a heck of a job of, of really having the pulse of what's going on in their territory. And, and I feel like we, uh, we got it covered. <laughs> that's well, that's good. Better you than me. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, I'm curious too. like, how much do you weigh the, you know, because this is a modern modern day baseball. How much are you weighing sort of the statistical analytics? Um, you know, this is always the question in baseball, both for GMs as well as for scouting people. How much do you balance the analytics with the actual putting your eyes on a guy and, and you know, the old school mentality of, of seeing someone and, and understanding what they do? Yeah, as you touched on, it's definitely evolved over the years. Um, you know, 15, 20 years ago, there's it's pretty sparse. I grew up in the St. Louis Cardinals organization scouting as an area scout, and it, we were kind of on the forefront of really incorporating it into the draft and, and developing a draft model back in the, uh, like, 2005, 2006 era back then. So I've always been around it. It's always a fine line of how much um, to use the stats versus the, versus the scouts, and I think we've got a, a pretty good blend going over here. And obviously with the track man and the hawk guy and all the new data sources out there, you kind of got to weigh like what you guys value and um, where we're at now, as far as, you know, just being seven, eight years into the track man information coming in and, and utilizing that. And our scouts, I think really understand it um, very well nowadays. So yeah, it's always a fine line. Like you got to have some gut feels in it and, and you got to use the stats to your advantage. All the teams have it now and are using it pretty prevalently. So the ones that, you know, kind of do it better than others, it's, it's got to be used. I'm not saying we, we do that, but we definitely um, try to blend the two. And, and we have some really good veteran scouts that, you know, know the kids inside and out and, and kind of what makes them tick. And, and, and having that knowledge and, and trying to combine that with the stats, it's like you said, it's always a fine line. But 
we've had some success doing it. So Dana Brown obviously built his reputation on drafting uh, well. What, how has his process been different for you? You've been with the organization a while, so you've been through a couple of different GMs in this process. How is he? Yeah. Is he different, or what has the process been like working with him? Definitely more hands-on. Um, he brings in a, an infectious energy to the group. Uh, I think what he does as far as uh, blending the, the stats and the information at, at hand was, was much more prevalent than I was expecting. He, he was very knowledgeable about a lot of the metrics. So him with his old school kind of scouting mentality at the field and then in utilizing the, the stats and, and the analytics that we use, it was, it was a really good blend. And he was fun to work with, man. It was, it was a pleasure <laughs> being in the draft room with him. That's great. Um, I'm curious about something because this is something I don't fully understand. And I know a lot of people don't. And how do you handle the pool money that you have for dealing with signings, because I know that there are, you know, some guys are slotted. I know that. But then once you get past the slotted guys, I've read a little bit about, well, if you're signing a high school guy who's already committed to a college, you might need to give them a little bit more as an incentive. And then you've got college guys might be a senior. Maybe he doesn't need as much incentive. Like how does all that play out, uh, you know, and how complicated is that process? Fairly complicated. Luckily, we've been doing it for approximately 10 years now, so we have a pretty good feel of it. But basically, you know, you want to use your allotted pool money the best you can. So certain slots, you know, are, are definitely weighed differently throughout the draft, one through 10. So figuring out, okay, um, you know, we want to take a high school guy here. It might be over slots. we got to weigh that out with maybe we take a senior a little later in the top 10 rounds to kind of even out that money. So it, it's all comes down to, you know, how much talent you can extract from this draft on a whole and, and utilize your, um, you know, we approximately had $7 million to work with being the last pick of the draft. So basically getting the most value out of those draft dollars is, is the goal every year. And I think uh, hopefully this year shapes up pretty well. So you guys always, everybody wants good arms in the draft. There's no shortage of needing good arms. But from a, from a standpoint of guys in the field, how much do you, do you place uh, a balance on organizational depth need at certain positions versus just drafting the best guy that's on the board at that time? Obviously, Astros have been a little overloaded with outfielders. Um, and there's, you know, I know you guys pick quite a few infielders and catchers this year. How do you kind of balance that? knowing that some of these guys, well, you know, some of these guys won't even ever make a major league roster. And some of these guys are going to fill out your minor league system. Is there a weight that you place on that each year or how does that work? Going into the draft, we have a feel of, of what positions we kind of are looking for, but early on in the draft, you're looking for your best player available. Like baseball, it's not like the NFL. These guys have three, four years to get there. Anything can happen. Trades happen. So we're looking for the guys we think are going to have the biggest impact early on in the draft. Now, as we get into the later rounds, you know, we might have a, an infielder and outfielder basically evaluated in the same spot. And we want to, you know, fill org needs, like you said, at, at certain levels, just so we have enough. So, yeah, we might have um, uh, went more infield heavy this draft. It wasn't a hundred percent by design a lot of the times you know the infielder was the highest guy on our board we went with it so but on the whole we're, we're excited about getting those two catchers and the, and the amount of infielders we did and the arms we're, we're 
got a lot of guys with some starting pitching traits that we look mm. for, athleticism, good deliveries, and, and some fastballs that we think will play. So, on the whole, we're excited with the Hall. That's good. So, tell and me. Jim Crane yeah? always loves pitching. Yeah. you got to get pitching for Jim. So, we uh, <laughs> Hey, you got to – you can never have too many arms in an organization. That's just, I think that's just the general rule. But, yeah, Jim Crane loves pitching. Um, tell us yes. a little bit about your first pick, Bryce Matthews. You mentioned in an interview that he projects as an up-the-middle player. So he's been playing shortstop, but I assume that means there's some flexibility there where he might be able to you know, project to second or even center field. Seems like quite an athlete. T- talk a little bit about uh, the, Bryce Matthews. Yeah, I mean, the athleticism was – some of the best in the class we felt uh you know former high school football star right up there at Tuscaloosa high uh played a lot of outfield in high school started at nebraska at second base because they had a pre- premium prospect there named uh, spencer schwellenbach who dana drafted in atlanta hmm. um ironically enough so um he only played the last two years at shortstop we think he's got the range the athleticism to do it there's some fine tuning to do and he's just a little green at the position but we're excited about the strides he made this year um so yeah with the speed he possesses i think he provides and that the background he has in the outfield and, and a little bit of second base we have some options with him um obviously shortstop's the most demanding position in baseball mm-hmm. and, and if we, we're going to start him there and see what he can do and, and i think uh you know with our, our excellent pd development and coaches in the infield jason bell and that group i think uh you know he has a chance to play there for a while so alonzo treadmill is kind of unique six eight guy um don't see very many uh, of those types of pitchers coming in what did you see about about him that you really liked especially given the fact that he has a little bit of injury history he had tommy john surgery and that sort of thing yeah i mean you touched on a six eight guy that moves like alonzo does it's very fluid he's got excellent body control he was a pretty well-known hitter back in high school so he's he's got some athleticism can do some things um we do think there might even be more in his delivery but when i watched him it was 90 95 he's got great extension on the slope and he was almost just placing it where he wanted to with that extension the ball got on top of hitters quickly uh he's throwing a ton of strikes in his two years at ucla he's got four pitches it's his starting pitching um, package and, and one we think that could threaten the the top spot of the rotation so we're excited about him we met with him at the combine he went through the whole process we'll feel comfortable about where he's at in terms of health and, and ready to get him going well that's actually that's really promising i haven't i've read a little bit about him but that's that's great to hear that you project him as potentially a top of the lineup starter top of the rotation starter um is there anyone in the draft that you guys selected here maybe in the later rounds that fans you might you might be interested to, like not necessarily sleeper but just somebody fans might be interested in watching if they do pay attention to the minors i tell you what our uh well first of all i'm excited about a lot of them yeah the one guy i'll point out is is the ninth rounder from toledo he led the country in hits and stolen bases he flies he's got a little bit of power it's, it's jaron williams um he's a senior guy he's a little a little older, 22.8, but he, uh, if he ends up, you know, passing the physical and everything goes well, we're, uh, we're excited about the tools that he possesses. He's a former basketball player, mainly in high school, so baseball's not, hasn't been a big focus for him, but the last few years he's performed at Toledo, and uh, I think he's got some, some interesting characteristics that might trend well in, into pro ball. I, I like that you went 22.8. 
It's like <laughs> when it comes to age, that's how deep into the statue are. It's like, how old are you? I'm 22.8. That's like, <laughs> I'm going to start using. Details. It's all about the details. I'm going to start using that in my own life. I'm like, how old are you? Well, I'm 54.2. It's like. <laughs> it's like my six year. Oh, I'm six. Exactly. Years. So in the movie Elf, after they finished Christmas, Santa Claus said, and now it's time to start preparations for next Christmas. So my question to you is, is that sort of your life right now that you're like, okay, the draft is over and now I got to start on next year. I mean, obviously you're going to be dealing with contracts. That's a big deal, but do you get any downtime at all? Do you get a break? Like you've just like you, when we were talking before and you said it's like the Super Bowl for you. Do you even get a moment to relax? I mean, obviously you're sitting in your office, so the answer is probably no. <laughs> <laughs> um, the different draft cycle has, has thrown a wrench into the break part mm. of it. Uh, so we used to draft early June and we had, you know, two and a half months to scout out next year's class. But now with the draft being mid to late July, you basically have to do it in a, in a four week compacted stretch here. So the answer to that is, is really no, not until after August. Um, for example, our area scouts during the last day of the draft flew straight to Phoenix and started next year's crop. So, I mean, it was instantaneous boom 2024s are happening you better get out there and start your work and we actually did some work before the draft um, just because the the timing kind of forces you to so mm -hmm. team USA college guys were going in, in, in Cary North Carolina and are playing still now so yeah we're uh, we're doing two cycles two drafts <laughs> groups at a time nowadays and no. uh, you, you got to kind of keep the names on one side of your brain and the other class on the other side of your branding to make it happen but our guys are good we'll be uh, we'll be ready for next year 360 days from now do you so. do you like the change to where it is now or do you prefer the the june date uh i mean i'll say uh my wife definitely prefers the june days <laughs> the is, is a little more open that way so Fair enough. Well, uh, Chris, I can't thank you enough for uh, joining us this morning. Uh, good job on the draft, as always. Keep up the good work and, you know, get back to work already. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me on, Jeff. Okay. Take care. Thanks so much. Okay. Pretty good stuff from Chris Gross. Uh, <clears throat> hard to gauge what a lot of these guys are going to be like. Obviously, you know, you're filling out uh, not just the, you know, the hopes and dreams of the Astros future but also filling out the minors you know with with a lot of guys um i was curious blummer what was the draft process like for you i think you were taken <laughs> in the seventh round as i recall yep. like this is i mean well you can back in my day you that's know, exactly right full one of those but what was it like i mean what do you remember about it um, I remember I was I was a junior at Cal, so I did I didn't get drafted out of high school. I was about six foot three, four, weighed about a buck sixty. I really needed to mature physically <laughs> and emotionally, mentally, and mm -hmm. going to Cal was the was the best decision probably other than my wife I've ever made in my life because I really had a chance to develop as a human. I had a chance to develop as a student, and I had a chance to develop mm -hmm. as an athlete. And I really gained you know I gained 20, 15, 20 pounds in college and I also learned how to switch it you know that's what a lot of people don't know is when I got drafted in 1994 yeah. in my junior year I was only a three-year-old as far as switch hitting was concerned and a lot of um I was still learning my swing. I was learning who I was, but you know, I was a speed guy at the time. I was a, I was an athletic shortstop and a new switch hitter. So I think that you know my 
my draft status was kind of affected by that. I don't know if I would have been higher if I'd have just been a pure right-handed hitter or if I would have, you know, dropped because I was only a right-handed hitter. But at the same time, you know, there were rumors between the third and 10th round. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I was kind of like, huh, I could go in the first day or I could go in the second, third, fourth day. But in, granted, back then there were 90 rounds or whatever it was. But uh, first day went by, didn't get a phone call. Second day went by. About halfway through the day, wasn't getting a phone call. And, and remember, I had to sit at home. I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have a pager. I didn't have anything. I had to wait by my <laughs> landline. And it wasn't ringing. And I was like, you know what? I'm getting a little frustrated. And uh, so I decided to go with a couple of friends and literally go to the mall, like the movie Mall Rats, and just kind of cruise <laughs> and uh, kill some time and see what was going on. And, nice. of course, by the time I got back later, that you know, before dinner, I, there was a message and I believe it was Bill Stoneman who had called the house and uh, said, hey, you know, drafted in the seventh round. My, my uh, scout, John Hughes, had left a message, so I called him back. And I still have a relationship with him to this day. But I got drafted in the seventh round and literally maybe spent maybe about an hour or two negotiating a contract. And the next day, I had a plane ticket to Burlington, Vermont. Wow. I, I'm just imagining, like, you're like, out of hell with this. I'm going to the mall. <laughs> Yeah, I'm out. You know, I don't like, I'm stressed I'm and I'm this freaking is, out, man. This is ridiculous. I'm going to the mall. And the fact that they left you, like, you probably had an answering machine, right, back then. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't yeah. like it wasn't like voicemail today or nobody's texting you. Probably nope. just left a message. I couldn't check Twitter cassette. to see where I got drafted. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, my God. The Pony that's Express so, that's came very... by with my contract. I mean, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> did, they, did they fax it to your local Kinko's? Yeah, I, I had to wait there and wait for the dial-up to connect. <laughs> Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's it's really fascinating to me how now everything because I was asking you know Chris about the pool money and how oh, all that's man. divvied up and you know it's crazy and and the idea that you know you might draft if you draft a high schooler you might have to draft like a senior out of college just to balance out the pool numbers because yeah. the high schooler is going to want more money to forego college to mm-hmm. you know go to the pros and the and the senior doesn't have a choice right so it's just it's that kind of thing is so weird um and so complicated i don't know how they do it it's clearly the most yeah. difficult draft out of all of them no it is it, it's complicated and again these players are trying to protect themselves and the money has gotten so yeah. big so grand that i think it's great for them because there's no guarantee so if you can get drafted high and no. get that money invest it right and do the do the smart thing you'll be protected uh for the long run but at the same time you know you know i got drafted in the seventh round and i got forty thousand dollars you know a check for forty thousand dollars and then i had to negotiate uh them paying for my college for my senior year so i actually got forty thousand then twenty thousand guaranteed towards school uh stuff like that and you know what once i i think once i got three or four two or three years in the big leagues that the twenty thousand dollars expired uh it was only to protect me if i had gone to the minor leagues and had to go back to school so once i got to the big leagues that money disappeared (laughs) you know what's interesting to me about that blummer is uh is this like back in that day like 
40 that was, grand. It was a nice chunk of change. It's like bro. a million bucks. <laughs> like a million bucks today. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's pretty good, man. That's I t- the Astros obviously had to fill up some of their gaps in their minor league system. Mm-hmm. Um, they took a bunch of infielders. Uh, this is a team that th- this is what was interesting to me though. This is a team that has been ranked as one of the worst farm teams in baseball and yet we talk about this all the time. <laughs> how it seems like the Astros just constantly pull rabbits out of their hat, but there was a real my uh, you know friend of the show and my friend Katya sent a really fascinating thing from Astros Future, which is a great follow on Twitter, by the way. It is. I'm um, on there. I'm following. They them. posted a yeah. They posted a graph showing every major league team's drafted WAR mm-hmm. between 2010 and 2023, and the Astros were first by like a mile. I yeah. mean, it wasn't even really close, and the Yankees were last, which. But. You know what's interesting about that? Just real quick to cut you off. Did you see who was number yeah. two? I, was it Cleveland? I can't remember. St. I, had, Louis. I don't have the graph in front of me. St. Louis. Well, guess what? There's, guess where all the guys came from to the Astros? Hmm. Jeff Luno came Including from St. Louis. And Chris Including? Rose. That's where, yes. he, that's where he came up. So, yeah. I mean, I, they obviously that, – that whole – statistical analysis system they have mixed in with their old school scouts is obviously yeah. clearly succeeding. Now it obviously helped that they drafted L2 Vance Springer and Bregman and Tucker and Correa. You know, <laughs> I was I mean, say how many rookies of the year doesn't were hurt, there, man. Doesn't hurt your war <laughs> when you're, when you're drafting. But uh, it, it was really interesting to me that, you know, looking at that, because I think there's a lot of like, Oh, well, who are we going to bring up from the minors? And then you just, you just keep rolling them out. This year mm-hmm. is a miracle when you think about it, um, with the, all the injuries and the pitching and everything else. And and you've and you've got Hunter Brown, who is a rookie, uh, although we don't feel like it because we saw him last year. Mm-hmm. JP France, who is a rookie who nobody saw coming. Corey Jokes, Yiner Diaz. These are all like huge contributors. And they just like, doink, 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 doink. We'll just take this guy and this guy and this guy. And, uh, oh, yeah, and we'll just keep on rolling. Two games mm-hmm. back of the Rangers. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and it's not, and not to mention the guys that are around the, the league that where the Astros were able to use as trade chips to yes. get who they <laughs> wanted to go out there and have these sustained winning championship-type seasons. But in the long run, I think Dana Brown actually had a really really unique opportunity in front of him that James Click did not have is the fact that he actually had the first two rounds to be able to work with. And I think that's where right. Dana Brown, Chris Cross, and some of these guys really understood and did their homework to make sure that they took advantage of those first two rounds that they this organization has not had the last couple of years and i also think it's interesting too that they recognized that uh they needed some infield help as far as depth moving forward because in a you know in the next four or five years you're going to see the bregmans you know go you know hopefully extend them and keep them around for a while but they are going to get older and by the time those guys are a little bit older or contracts run out you're able to move new new prospects into those situations to go alongside the jeremy Pena's. but i also think it's interesting just the overall drafting, how many times you hear a scout or a director or GM say, athlete, get athletes, yep. and if they can hit, we'll find a place for them. Yeah, and he th- that was what he talked about with their first pick, yeah. about what a great athlete, he plus level athlete. There was a, the, the thing that I think you know he said that I thought was really interesting, too, is that he, he alluded to the fact that 
uh, in the first 10 rounds, in the first like 10 rounds of this thing, you're going after the best talent available because you don't know what the future holds. Mm-hmm. You don't know if these guys are going to, you know, if, if you, they're going to end up being part of a trade or if somebody else is going to end up being part of a trade and you're going to need them to back them up or there's an injury or free agency or whatever. Um, but he said, whereas the, the other rounds behind that, the other 472,000 rounds that come after, that that is more about filling out, uh, you know, operational depth, yeah. having, um, you know, having guys in there. Now, you still want to pick good guys, but uh, I thought that was a really kind of an interesting to say, yeah, these guys may not be with us. You know, they may be really good athletes that end up playing for somebody else. Yeah, but at the same time, you've got, I think, you know, Jake Myers is like a seventh round pick. You've got Chaz McCormick, yep. 13th. Belak was 22nd round. I mean, y- y- you expect those guys, you're like, hey, these guys are going to be roster fillers. We'll give them an opportunity. But right. how about the fact that some of these guys may be late bloomers or they may be able to figure it out and be competitive and create their own niche and make themselves prospects? I think that's probably what's coolest about it. You're like, hey, we're going to take a flyer on this guy. We could use him in double A to fill this spot. And all of a sudden, you're going, damn. This guy all of a sudden put on like 10, 15 pounds. He's dropping bombs. We could use this. Well, and, and clearly that that's, you know, graph that shows, you know, yeah. drafted war is just as much about player development as it 100%. is about drafting the right guy. That. Yep. Yeah. So the key that it's not just that they're drafting the right guys, it's that they're taking the time and, and putting in the energy and effort to actually, you know, make these improve these guys at the minor league level so that when they are finally called up if that happens they'll be ready for it so just yeah really big deal before we get into the rest of the season the trade deadline's only two weeks away it appears the astros are aiming for a starting arm which Mm -hmm. seems logical given what's happened so if you had if you had one guy you could only pick one guy right Mm -hmm. it can be an arm or a bat is pitching the right is is a starter the right move at this point do you think I I do. And, you know, it has nothing to do with the fact that Urquidy's coming back or the, Mm -hmm. you know, JP France. You know, I think JP France has been highly competitive, but I, I just feel like. You know, if you're able to come back and take over the Texas Rangers and win that American League West, get yourself in that buy in the first round, I think that's huge because it will mm-hmm. allow you to set your rotation a little bit better in the division series, which is going to be, you know, an abbreviated series. So you just need three strong starts with the potential of bringing back your number one for that game four, whatever it may be. But I think that the Astros are also looking for the long haul because if you add another arm to this rotation, say, I'm, I'm not sure who this guy is. Either. Either. I'm not sure if it's a Marcus Stroman yeah. or you know a yeah. Josiah Gray from the Nationals who's having a great year, but somebody that yeah. could go out there and really eat up some innings. And who's to say they don't use this in a six-man rotation and try and push back the number of innings that a Hunter Brown throws, push back the number of innings that a J.P. France or even a Christian Javier who showed some fatigue. If you can start to protect these arms and get yourself through August, get yourself through September, take over the American League West, and then you've got even more options, I think that's probably the idea. It's just how do you do that and who is that pitcher that you go get? Because it wouldn't be starting. It's not bullpen guy for me. I think it would be a starter for me because I think once you move a guy into the starting rotation, you can move uh, Renel Blanco. You can move, uh, you know, some of these other guys into that bullpen and protect yourself that way. Yeah, that's exactly what I think. I agree with you. I I think that it's not really. You don't need anybody in the bullpen. Really, you're fine there. 
I do think it it also helps you to start thinking about, well, you're going to get your Kitty back. So if, if you get him back and you do go after a starter, now you've clearly got five guys in your rotation with probably a sixth available to you in somebody mm-hmm. like Belak or in uh you know even Sean Dubin or whoever it is so you or Renel Blanco yeah. and so you do have the ability to to give these like one of the things we forget about over the last years is the Astros have had such a big lead they can afford to give a guy a, mm-hmm. a week off you know they could afford to skip a guy in the rotation or if somebody a little tweak you know a hangnail or whatever it is they could just say okay just take a rest for a minute we've got guys to back them up when you've got, really, you've got three guys in this season in Hunter Brown, Christian Javier, and JP France. They've never pitched this number of innings before. Mm-hmm. So you have to think the more rotational depth they can get, the better off it's going to be for them down the stretch. So they'll all be ready for the playoffs. No, 100%. Protection and depth. That, those are two very good words. And the Astros, I think, realize that, you know, they weren't limping into the All Star break, but they were definitely looking mm-hmm. forward to it. <laughs> You're 100% right. Hell, I was limping into the All-Star break. I so, definitely was. At this point, at the point of the season, everybody's got to be. So assuming we do have a return to health or relative health in the second half, mm-hmm. um, do you think they – are they going to catch the Rangers? Yeah. I mean, the Rangers have been backsliding a little, well, but are they catching the Rangers? I'm curious about the Rangers. You know, they, they had a bit of a slide coming into uh, the All-Star break as well. Uh, and mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, I, there's a, probably a lot of curiosity. Can Evaldi finish the season and pitch into October mm-hmm. because he's had his injury history? Um, you, mm-hmm. you know, Dane Dunning, is he going to come back to the mean a little bit? How long can John Gray go? I think there's some question marks because we always saw – we I saw their rotation at least in the beginning of the season saying man if they could stay healthy that's going to be dangerous because they're that good but i think we're seeing the same thing with the mariners the bullpen is an issue for seattle and i really think the bullpen is a major issue for the texas rangers i know they picked up a role this chapman but at the same yeah. time they could really and, and it's not one or two i think two guys in that bullpen would really help them because we're seeing jason or josh spores kind of come back to reality a little bit after his hot start yeah been getting hit around and you know how <laughs> long is will smith going to be their closer before Roldis chapman moves into that role and then you're going to need guys to help spores and smith set up a yeah, I think that's that's their clearly their Achilles heel. But I'm and not that's sure if I answered you. I've been, yes, I think they can catch them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, good. I think you're right. I do too. Um, so, what do that? What do you think the Astros? If there was, I don't know, one or two things that they need to do to improve on the first half, besides being healthy, obviously, what do they need to do in the second half to sort of get to that point, catch up to the Rangers? Where you know, where are we at on that? Uh, get healthy and hit. I, I want to see more consistency in their uh, yeah. lineup because we've seen, you know, we've seen streakiness, and I think that streakiness mm-hmm. has kind of given us a little bit of hope. And uh, if if they can be more consistent, I think that offense and that uh, pitching staff would really benefit from that, uh, and we'll start racking up the wins. So a little more consistency out of the offense for me would be fantastic. Well, yeah, certainly when they win, their runs per game are way ahead of where they are when they lose. I mean, this is a team that when they can't hit, they really can't hit. Mm -hmm. And when they can, they really can. It's kind of feast or famine a lot of times for them. And then if you Um, add Jordan to that mix, good Lord. Well, look, that number that you brought up last week that 
the Jose Altuve and Jordan Alvarez have only played together for 13 games this year. We don't even I know mean, what this offense can do. No, that's sort of almost all the response you need for anything yeah. like that. It's like 13 games. That's unbelievable, mm-hmm. really, when you get right down to it. All right, so I discussed this when you were out with my co-host Brandon Scott. Thanks to him for uh, filling in for a day. Um, so Barry Bonds was on another podcast. I'm sure you've seen something about this. On, mm-hmm. on the Believe Network, talking about how he didn't feel he was being treated fairly when it comes to Hall of Fame. He claims he was vindicated in court, which I'm not sure he knows what that word means, um, <laughs> given his use of it. But, okay, so we're, we're talking about a little bit about the Hall of Fame. Three guys that are out there, mm-hmm. right? And I want to get your hot take on whether or not they should be in or the Hall of Fame or not. And we'll start with Bonds. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, pu- I'm putting Pete Rose in. I'm putting Barry Bonds in. I'm putting Mark McGuire in. I'm putting Roger Clemens in. I'm, I'm taking everybody. Dude, those were my three guys, except for McGuire wasn't on my list, but it was Bonds, Clemens, and Rose. And I'm 100% yeah. in agreement with you. You I think what? most people. My, my are. stipulation is the you know the suspensions. You know, like the A Rods, forget it. He he flipped his finger off at Major League Baseball and said, "I'm going to go do it." Uh, you know, it's hard with Sammy Sosa. It's hard with uh, Manny mm-hmm. Ramirez. You know, but for those three guys that you're asking about, I'm putting them in. I to me the 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 real deal with Barry Bonds is is that he was a Hall of Famer before Dude, his head got yeah. big. He was before he left Pittsburgh. He was a Hall of Famer. Three um, MVPs before he, he got to San Fran. Yeah, so that's one. Clements, same deal. The, the biggest fault that they make. Well, nobody liked Barry Bonds. I mean, he's that's part of it, which is I stupid. The writers, the writer. Yeah, see, the writers need to relax, but. Um, then you've got uh, Clements, who I think his biggest mistake was standing before Congress and yes. sitting there going, I didn't take anything. It's like, just, all right, rocket. <laughs> um, Pete Rose, though, to me, it's idiotic that a guy who didn't even bet on his own games, like the, the sports betting thing is becoming such an interesting landscape. Ooh, uh, the NFL's you know, taking in, some heat on that, too. They really are. I mean, these guys are the, the these are normal humans who want to go out and, and gamble. You know, I'm not a gambler, mm-hmm. but hey, whatever. And it's just been such a stereotyping. I mean, but with all the leagues now pouring themselves into Las Vegas, mm-hmm. um, taking all that, taking all that casino money. Uh, never mind. By the way, uh, having major, major sponsors. With bet online and mm-hmm. you know and uh, and all the different you know dr- fantasy sports and all of that stuff, it's hypocritical to me to be like, no, Pete Rose, I'm sorry, you can't be in the baseball, you yeah. know. But we'll go ahead and get we'll go ahead and line FanDuel up to sponsor every segment of MLB.com. Yeah. Well, it, he it's he, ridiculous. Yeah, but I mean, is there proof he bet as a player? I don't know. You know, I've read deep because enough into all that. I mean, my understanding is he did it all as a manager, which I'm like, whatever. As a I mean, manager, you control right. the outcome, no, I don't but he's he... not going into the Hall of Fame as a manager. Right. And I, yeah, he didn't bet as, I don't think he bet as a player. And I don't care. I don't put asterisks next to him. Put, you know, put the, put a little snippet at the bottom, play during the steroid, uh, there's suspicion. What, dude, what they did on the field was right. remarkable. Yes. And by the way, let's be honest. If we go back way back oh, to any of these guys, what yeah. the hell were they doing? Those yeah. guys were, those guys were probably, Let's go. 
<laughs> they were probably, I'm just saying, they were probably doing a bump in the clubhouse before the game. Hey, just saying. I mean, me a on a tough guys. schedule after a train ride. <laughs> say, it was, that's not caffeine in that drink. I'm just nope. telling you. I'm just, oh my God. Coca, last couple of tidbits. First one, I, I just had to get, I just had to tell you. I don't know if you saw it, but Rory, Rory McElroy got interviewed uh, yesterday and he had a quote that I just, he said, if Live Golf was the last place on earth to play golf, I would retire. Wow. <laughs> Damn. Like, You've got to give it to Rory for having, He's I mean, sticking just to his the guns. Cone. He is not Ooh. messing around. He is like, I'm, I have no interest. I mean, and even now that Liv is, you know, involved, I don't, I don't know if you saw any of the hearings or any of the stuff where they're, you know, uh, I missed but it. It's, it's this whole, this whole thing. Well, good. You should have missed it. Well, you were <laughs> hanging out with your family. That's way better. But I just saw that and I thought, dang, Rory, that's scorched earth right there, buddy. Mm-hmm. But props. Also, a couple of things I thought you would find funny. A Notre Dame football player uh, had a rib removed. Because of it, some kind of disorder, okay. this is where this is going. You're not gonna, you're not gonna. And he had his mom make a necklace out of it. I'm just, dude, I'm just that is throwing. disgusting. <laughs> she had to like. There's a, is she wearing the necklace as a rib no, necklace, he is. or is he? he is. Why would you? He do says that? he's not. He said he's not going to like wear it all the time. He's going to hang it up, but. She's a, apparently she's a former nurse and she kept it in their freezer for a while. What? I, it's on, it's in the athletic. I, I can't make this stuff up. Oh, and then man. she actually drilled the holes in it and like all this stuff and bought a bunch of poo- it's a puka shell necklace with a rib bone at the end. Oh man. I'm like who is this guy? Uh, <laughs> so, look at me look at me in my rib, bro. What is <laughs> Sick. Is his name Adam? Oh my God. <laughs> if only, <laughs> if only, honest to God. And then the, the, I just thought you would like that. And then the last thing I saw this one as well, a bunch of, um, there was a, there's a guy who owns a hardcore music labels. It's like punk music and stuff in the nineties. And they were running out of money and he found out that hot topic um, sold all these like cheesy stickers, right? Mm-hmm. So he found out that if he sold them stickers for that it cost him 10 cents a piece, they'd give him a dollar, right? For oh. everyone. So he started making these stickers and that so he could make money to keep his label alive. One of the stickers, he's Boston in a Boston area, and one of the stickers he made was one that said Yankees suck. And apparently it sold like crazy and it literally (laughs) helped him keep his label alive and the story about it was really interesting because they say that in boston they chanted at everything they chanted at games (laughs) when the yankees aren't playing right it's like you know they have all these things and i was like man now that is a clever way to make some money in sports it's that easy (laughs) i mean just find that one little thing I know. I know which just, one we could sell in Yankee Stadium and make a fortune off of. What's that one? Astros. Suck. Oh, they yeah. would buy that. Well, in a I'll heartbeat. tell you what. That'd be great to monetize uh, them and <laughs> just take their well, remember, money. Remember, remember, we want Houston. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Careful what you wish I for. Mean, that's exactly right. I mean. It, but I just find that kind of stuff I love. I love, you know, I love all the t shirts that people make with your dog. Oh, yeah. I love 
And I love, you know, uh, uh, Frommer walking in the clubhouse wearing his own <laughs> With face. His own. I mean, it's just, it's just so funny. It's just stuff like that is priceless. That to me, and by the way, I would argue that baseball has, it's far more prevalent in baseball than it is in any other sport. 100%. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean football. It's it's they're a little more serious. Basketball. All the dudes are like into fashion now, so they show mm-hmm. up to games and they're like decked out in like whatever craziness. Baseball players, there's like maybe it's there's a because it's 162 games. <laughs> maybe it's because of just their quirkiness in general. But they seem to be the ones that come up with that kind of stuff. Which kudos to them. That's pretty great. Yeah, 162 games will mess with your brain and make you do some crazy stuff. I bet. I mean, Blummer, it, it it probably it's got to be messing with your brain, and you're not even playing anymore. Yeah, no, a lot of things mess with my brain. Yeah, got some issues. <laughs> yeah, well, don't we all? That's why God invented therapists. Yep. Uh, so, well, thanks for joining us today, everybody. Blummer, any final thoughts? I mean, you're out. I know you're in Laguna Beach. You're about to head to hot uh, Anaheim. Yeah, which is unfortunate, but. Uh, 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 any final thought? How was your vacation? Was it good? Did you have a good? Have you had a good time? Just no, it's been a break? good. No, I'm a big family guy and hanging out with my kids. You know, even yeah. if we're stuck in a car for hours, has been really good. And visiting grandparents uh, is something. I will say this: don't waste a moment with family and friends because it, they are fleeting. I know I'm old and I'm getting nostalgic about things, but man, it goes by fast. So enjoy every moment. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of what we took an opportunity to do this all-star break is make moments and it, it was worth it. That's really good, man. And that is great advice. Um, I, I agree a hundred percent. Like there isn't a day. My, my dad died when he was only in his late sixties and uh, there is a day that goes by that I don't think of a joke or something that I wish he was around that I could tell him, you know, mm-hmm. because so it's it's it is important. You got to you got to uh, hang on to that stuff. Even the ones that frustrate you. I think about my dad calling me for tech support all the time <laughs> and I'd get and I'd get annoyed. I'd be like, oh, here we go. And mm-hmm. now I'm like, please, I wish you could call me for tech support. <laughs> it'd be so it'd be True. so nice. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, we'll be back next week with a fresh pod brought to you by Bet Online. Very special thanks to Astros director of amateur scouting, Chris Gross. Really fascinating stuff from him. A huge thanks to all our listeners and viewers all across the world. You guys have been great liking, subscribing, and commenting. Very thankful for all of you guys. Obviously, we're back second half. Uh, and it's the, uh, like I said, the descent into madness as we head towards the postseason. So you guys all have a great weekend. Stay cool out there. God help you and go Astros. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.